In May of 1984, the streets of Tampa were a hunting ground for a serial killer. By fall, at least six bodies had been discovered. As police were building a profile, the killer was flying under the radar. As they got close, detectives were still missing the last puzzle piece. It wouldn't be until a vulnerable teenager brought them the final clue. Finally, the entire horrible picture came together. not how we start the oh. episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone. Welcome to Sentenced. I'm Kara. <laughs> and I think I'm Caitlin. <laughs> uh, no one can be sure. Yeah, it's questionable. There's a lot of question marks at the end of all of our statements. <laughs> yes. Uh, how are you today? I beat you to it again. <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask. I, I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Work's been tough. Uh, I'm very tired. Yes. I'm good. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm dead. I'm alive again. (laughs) (laughs) Work has been tough for me, too. I'm actually, I'm fine with saying this on the podcast. I'm on FMLA right now because I've, work's been extraordinarily stressful for me, and I think it's important for me to be, like, honest about mental health and stuff. We often talk about it on the show so I needed to set a boundary and recognize the signs of mental exhaustion and that's where I'm at right now so it's been today I'm on day two of FMLA and I've just been taking care of myself good yeah you're entitled to it like especially like people that don't take time off very often or like are always working it it gets draining and you deserve time off like take your time off it's there for a reason yeah sorry someone with a very loud vehicle just drove by it's okay yeah Um, but are we allowed to talk about what you just posted on your socials oh sure why not um so i just want to say and i've already told you this but i'm so proud of you carrie you're a thousand days sober a thousand and one days sober today (laughs) imagine this is an air horn (laughs) thank you I know. I know that I've kind of mentioned it a couple times on this podcast. Um, We haven't gone into lengths about it, and maybe someday there will be an episode where we do. But yeah, it's it's been an incredible journey, and I'm very, very grateful, and I'm so happy to be sober. Wouldn't be here today if I wasn't, so. I can't believe it's been that long. Like, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But it's been, what, three over three years? Three years? Um, well, it'll be three years in August. So that's kind of more of like a sober anniversary. I just thought a thousand days was cool. So I was like, I'm going to post this on Instagram. This is rad. Yeah. No, it's celebrate every day if you could. Yeah. I mean, you should. I mean, it's amazing. So congratulations. I'm Thank proud of you. you. Thank you so much. I know. Um, it seems like just the other day that... You were driving by my house to see if I was alive or if I... Oh, can we tell people about that? I think we've kind of, like, skirted around it. (laughs) And I've never, like, fully told people what Yeah, I want to hear it from your standpoint because I think it's funny. (laughs) 
Um, okay, so story time. If you don't want to hear this, like, skip forward, like, maybe five to ten minutes. I don't know. Um, so back in 2020, we were getting ready for my bachelorette party, and Kara was supposed to go. And I was, like, trying to reach out to you because I was like, hey, are you going? Like, we haven't heard anything. Like, I want to make sure you're still able to go. Nothing. And so I got really worried because I don't ever not hear from you. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe a day. Mm-hmm. If I text you. Like, yeah, we go a few days in between talking, whatever. But if one of us reaches out and we don't hear from each other, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, you're mad at me. That doesn't make <laughs> sense. <laughs> like, okay. So I didn't hear anything from you. So then the next day I was like, um, hello. Like, I haven't heard anything back. Are you okay? Still nothing. So my brain immediately goes into your ex killed you. And <laughs> you're dead. Like, immediately. So I didn't have his number. So I was, like, trying to get a hold of him on Instagram and all this stuff. He finally gets back to me, and it's just like, oh, yeah, no, she's fine. She's with her family, but she has no service. And I was like, you're a fucking liar because she's texted me from her family's house before. Mm-hmm. Like, I know she has service. So I drove next to, like, went and drove out to your house. Like, do you want to know how I found your address, by the way? Oh, you probably looked at, like, my pay stubs or something, huh? <laughs> Bitch, I did. It had been over a year since you'd worked for me, and I still logged into ADP and found your old-ass shit in there and found your address. That's hilarious. And I went, and I drove out there because I was like, okay, if I see her forerunner parked out front, I know she's <laughs> there and I know she's dead. But I didn't see her car, and you don't have that car anymore, so I'm okay saying it. Yeah. Um. And so I didn't see her car, so I was like, okay, maybe she is out of town. So then I started reaching out to your family on Instagram and Facebook, and I still don't know to this day if your mom ever got those messages on Facebook because she probably never checks her Facebook. Oh, no, she deleted it. Like, she deleted the app. Oh, okay. Uh, But your sister, your youngest sister, I think, was the one that finally was just like, she's safe. I can't tell you where she is right now, but I can guarantee you she's safe, and she'll reach out to you as soon as she can. And then I think I would text you, like, every day or, like, every couple of days or something. Just, like, hey, miss you. Like, thinking of you. <laughs> the day you called me, I almost cried. Aww. I was sitting at my desk, and I was, like, just working away. And then I saw your name pop up, and I was like, it's Kara. She's alive. Like, <laughs> I get to talk to my friend. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Spoiler alert. They don't let you have phones in rehab. <laughs> Well, some rehabs they do, but it's a very good idea to not have it. And I was so grateful for those 30 days where I didn't have my phone because it was like, I even after that, I took a huge detox from my phone. Like I blocked everyone except for like five people and I didn't have Instagram for almost a year, Instagram or Facebook. So it was definitely good for my mental health. Speaking of mental health. And it's okay to be a psycho and reach out to your friends, family, and friends if they haven't, if you haven't heard from them in a while, because you never know. Yes. And I legit, I legit thought you were dead for a minute. I was like, he did it. He killed her. He's crazy. He did it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. My brain just went to a very dark place. Yeah. So. I think we all do that though. Our brains go to very dark places. I mean, I'm about to tell you a terrible story. This is why we're afraid of these things happening. I'll probably have nightmares tonight, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you cared about me and you still care about me. I still care about you. It's, I don't have a lot of friends. I think we've said that before. Like, neither one of us has a lot of friends. Yeah. Like, I have a very large family who I consider friends. Um, But that's different than, like, people you've organically met. Right. And, like, made a connection with. And so... 
anybody that asks, I'm like, oh, I don't have any friends. And I'm like immediately like, except for my friend Kara. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just like, wait, I can't forget her. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me too. Because I'm just very selective. And that's, again, one thing that I've learned in recovery is that I don't have to be friends with people that I don't want to be friends with. So it's like, it's there's no, there's no point in people pleasing. That's only going to hurt people. No, I... I stop people pleasing. Well, I still do with like certain family members that I really shouldn't, but it's kind of hard to disconnect from them. But like in my work life and like with random people, I can disconnect so easily. Like the girl that just recently quit at my office, she's like, oh, like reach out to me, like stay in touch. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Absolutely not. Right. I'm sorry, like, I care about you as a person, and I hope everything works out for her, but at the same time, I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, live your life. You're crazy. You have all this drama going on in your life that I don't want any part of, which is why you're quitting here. So, goodbye. And I feel <laughs> I'll like probably that's... never talk to you again. Yeah, I, I feel like that's something that people say because they, like, don't want you to be like mad that they're leaving. It's like, no, I don't care that you're leaving. Like, I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I care about being your friend. Yeah, it's like we've gone out to lunch together, sure. Like, that's me bonding with my team. Mm-hmm. I'm not your friend. I have never considered a single one of my employees a friend, except for you. We, like, <laughs> when we went to Applebee's that one time, I was like, did we just become best friends? Like, all stupid. But, yeah, yeah. I don't. Everybody else, I was just like, mm, like, I'll be friendly with you, and I'll try to hang out with you, like, during lunch and stuff if you want. But, yeah, I don't know. No, makes sense. Boundaries are important. I'm kind of a bitch, too. Like, I just don't like people. Yeah, I get it. Very You're selective. You're like, yeah, you are a bitch. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, we get along fine, so it's whatever. I mean, you're a bitch, too, sometimes, so it's okay. Yeah. I can be. And I appreciate it. Anyway, Yay. I think okay. we rambled for the 12, 10 minutes, I said. It was okay, though, because this is a really rough case, and I'm just going to get right into it, and there's no, like, soft layer, no easing into it. Um today because we are talking about a serial killer i'm not gonna tell you who it is you probably have heard this case before and again i know that we've talked about not doing serial killers because oftentimes they're sensationalized this isn't really one of those cases um this was i i don't think there was a lot of media attention around it but i don't think there was any sensationalizing the perpetrator in it which is why I kind of thought it would be okay to do was it more like local media coverage and not national media coverage is that why um it was in the 80s so I don't remember because I was only alive for like one year of the 80s and I I wasn't alive in the 80s so I don't remember either I wasn't watching a ton of tv at the time especially since it was not (laughs) in a state where I was living so um anyways I'm very curious now Alrighty, so I kind of mentioned it in my preface. This is in the 1980s, uh, specifically 1984 and in near around the Tampa area of Florida. So, oh, good, Florida. I know. So, I'm sorry if we, I'm not making fun of Florida people as a whole, but you know, there's the stereotype. There is a stereotype, and also this is, I think I've mentioned Florida in, like, three or four cases so far. So it's so- you have an affinity for Florida. <laughs> I don't. You're just, just trying to warn people I from Florida. You're just like, there. don't go there. <laughs> I know, seriously. <sighs> Alrighty. 
we're going to start with our first victim. So again, I'm just going to jump right into it. And there is going to be a lot of sexual assault associated with this case. And a lot of these are going to be kind of vulgar. As much as I would like to do a trigger warning between each incident, it's going to be difficult to do that and keep the story running smoothly. So I'm just putting that out there. The body of Lana Long, a 19-year-old exotic dancer, was found May 13th, 1984. Lana was born on November 1st, 1964 in Laos. Her birth name was Wen, but she went by the nicknames Lana and Peggy. Her body was found, or it was discovered, by two boys walking along the interstate. She was found nude, face down with her hands and feet tied. This part is pretty rough right here. Her hips had been broken in a way that maneuvered both of her legs to be positioned into right angles. She, yeah. Isn't that awful? Was it done post-mortem? That I'm not sure. I really hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would hope so too. She had a ligature tied around her neck, almost as if it was a leash. At the scene of the crime, detectives found puzzling tire tracks. One tire seemed to be different from the other three. They also found red fibers at the scene of the crime. Right before her death, Lana had reportedly quit her job as a dancer to study art and film at the University of South Florida. Her friend told the then-called St. Petersburg Times, there's no reason why someone that sweet should have to die. I also want to bring attention to something that was mentioned in a newspaper article regarding this incident, and this is just to shed some light, regardless of what people do for their job or in their pastime. Um, people are people, and whether she was an exotic dancer or not, I don't think that this is an appropriate sentence to say about someone that was just killed in such a gruesome manner. Um, the Miami Herald said she had a passion for cocaine and peppermint schnapps. And that's right there. It's like, you don't need to put that in the paper. Yeah, and, and the, the paper's defense, it is the 80s, so it was like, how dare you do anything that's not Christian? You know what I mean? Right, and I mean, I, and that's, you know, it was the 80s, so it was a different time. I would love to say that we've come a long way, but I don't know that we necessarily are that graceful when we're talking about people. It's the victim shaming, though. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it still happens to this day. Like, somebody can be this, a freaking beautiful person, really nice person, and then they'll be like, ah, uh, but she said mean things on the internet. It's like, we don't need to talk about that. She's mm-hmm. not here anymore, or he's right. not here anymore. Like, we don't need to shame the victim, especially if it's unrelated to why they died. Like, exactly. It's just ridiculous. And it's not, they're talking about her passions. Okay, obviously here she had a passion for art and film. Why aren't we drawing attention to that? Instead, you're putting a positive word like passion and correlating it with something negative, like cocaine and peppermint schnapps. Who cares? And She's, I'm sorry, an exotic dancer, like, I wish... Your girl can probably maybe climb up a pole, but I don't know if I can slide (laughs) down it gracefully. So, uh, yeah. And she was, you know, she was clearly trying to better herself. She was going back to school. That's awesome. I just thought that it was important to notate that. And I just want to also say I'm going to go through these victims pretty quickly so that we can, not quickly in a sense that I'm 
not being respectful and spending a lot of time. But a lot of these victims, I don't have a ton of information on. So I'm, it may sound like I'm not spending a ton of time on them, but there's a lot to this story. And for me to move through it, I kind of have to do so in that manner. So I apologize if it seems insensitive. No, that's okay. And a lot of them probably don't have, like, the best family life or, like, anybody that advocated for them after death. Mm -hmm. So they probably weren't able to come out and be like, this is their real story. You know what I mean? Exactly. Two weeks later, the body of Michelle Denise Sims was discovered on May 27th. Michelle was just 22 years old, a former beauty contestant, and had previously worked as a receptionist at a massage parlor in California before moving to Tampa. Michelle's throat had been slit. She had a ligature around her neck that was likely used to choke her in and out of consciousness. And again, this was tied around her neck as if it was used as some sort of a leash. Her panties and her white jumpsuit, both stained in blood, were hanging in the bushes near where she was found. Red fibers and tire tracks with one unmatched tire were found at the scene of the crime. And her cause of death was um, asphyxiation, head injuries, and a lacerated throat. So, two things. Um, It definitely, yeah, it sounds like this person's using the, like, strangulation to, like, I don't know if it's some sort of, um, what is it called? When you enjoy having sex Mm. with dead people. What is that? Starts with an N. Um... Not narcolepsy. No. <laughs> I keep wanting to say narcolepsy for some reason. <laughs> necrophilia. Necrophilia. So I think it has something to do with like a necrophilia thing. Because mm-hmm. if he's like, because it, it definitely sounds like that wasn't what killed her. Um, if there was also like her throat was slit. So it's right. like, I feel like he's dabbling with the necrophilia side of things and then slits slit her throat at the end to finish things right and then also too i have to make a comment on the tires so it sounds like he has three tires and a donut sounds like it yeah i guess there's like three matching and then one not matching Uh so just have to put that out there which like how long are you driving on that for yeah you're not supposed to even go over like 50 miles an hour 55 miles an hour what an idiot yeah what a dumbass fix your tires that takes us to our next victim, Elizabeth Loudenbach. Uh, she was born January 10th, 1962 in Indiana. Elizabeth, or Liz, worked at Astra Products in Oldsmar, Florida as a transformer winding and assembly specialist. So I Whoa. think it was just like an assembly line type thing. Oh, okay. Right? Maybe, or a transformer. I mean, that's something electrical, so maybe she worked on an assembly line or maybe she worked in an electrical field, but either way, it sounds like an interesting job. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liz moved to Florida with her mother, stepfather, and younger siblings about two years before her death. She loved listening to music by the pool and was very easy to make friends with. However, she was kind of a loner, so it was weird that those two were together, but I can relate, I guess. <laughs> like an introvert that's... I don't know. If you put me outside, I'm the nicest person you'll uh-huh. ever meet. But when I'm home, I don't want to deal with anything. I don't yeah. want to talk to anybody. Yeah. That's that's why I do the job that I do is because I talk to people all freaking day and then I come home and I don't want to do it anymore. Like, <laughs> exactly. don't bother me. <laughs> totally makes sense. Her body was discovered on June 8th or June 24th. Conflicting information there for that, going off of old newspapers, in 1984 in an orange grove in Florida. 
investigators found red fibers at the scene of the crime. Damn red fibers. Mm-hmm. It's probably a good thing. We'll probably find out who this person is because of the fibers. So Hopefully. Good red fibers. <laughs> <laughs> now that a pattern is forming, Lieutenant Randy Latimer and Captain Gary Terry. Love the name. I know. I'm like. <laughs> Gary Terry and forensic psychologist Catherine Ramsland began working on a profile for the perpetrator. It was clear by the wounds inflicted on the victims and the demographics of the woman that the person responsible for the crimes had a lot of anger toward women. And so by demographics, I mean, it's, it seemed like they were younger women, um, petite And again, this whole anger towards women, this is something that we see a lot in serial killers like Ted Bundy, Carl Eugene Watts. It's probably a reflection of a poor childhood or their needs were not met, mommy issues, all of those, yes. So how was Liz murdered again? Because I don't think you said that. I think you just said her body was found. I am not 100% sure on that, but it was the same... um, MO. Yeah, it was the same MO. And it's really interesting that they it's not clear on when her body was found. Like No, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, well, June, but just eighth or the twenty-fourth. Like yeah. that's a big difference. Yeah. It's so, not your fault, but <laughs> Yeah. I got two different dates, so I was like, I'm just gonna put them both One in. One of there. those. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I need to comment. We always end up doing cases around the same time we're recording, because it's May 2nd today. The first body that you reported was, like, around May something. Mm -hmm. That is It always happens. Yeah. That is very weird. However, with that being said, after a few months, (laughs) (laughs) detectives thought that maybe the killings had stopped, but they hadn't. So that brings us to our next victim, Chanel Devin Williams. She was born on March 26th, 1966, in Bartow, Polk County, Florida. So far, this is actually the first victim that was born in Florida. Everyone else was kind of a transplant, which I found interesting. She was a sex worker. Chanel was found on October 7th at a cattle ranch. She was stuffed under a barbed wire fence. And this is very strange. And outside of the MO, she was shot in the back of the head. Wow. So very different from the other victims. But her bra was hanging on the fence, almost as if it was a message to detectives saying, I'm back. Yeah, because I was going to say, we had some time off. It was like two in May, one in June, and now Mm -hmm. we're all the way in October. Right. There's an explanation for the gap, and so we'll kind of get back to that. Oh, I figured, yeah. Yeah. Um, Initially, they thought that this was unrelated due to her race. She was, prior to this, it had been mostly white women, and Chanel was black. Um, and then th- there were no ligatures. It was just a gunshot. So it was very different. But the FBI noted, again, this, the racial boundaries thing, this is something that the FBI said. The, the FBI stated that serial killers don't typically cross racial boundaries once they have their victim. They kind of stick with that general type. It's not something I'm saying. It's something that the FBI said. Well, wasn't the first victim, uh, was she white or is she Asian? That's why it was a little bit strange. Because you said she went, her name was Wynn, but she went by Lana. Yes. 
Yeah, and she was from Laos, and so... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we had her, and then two white women, and now mm-hmm. a black woman. Correct. So it sounds like he doesn't really have a type. He doesn't care. Yeah. And I think, again, this is this was the 80s, and I'll explain a little bit more later, but I, I don't know that necessarily at the beginning they had this profile for a serial killer, right? Because mm-hmm. it takes a while to build that. Right. But what really solidified this was that they found at the scene of the crime red fibers. They also found a brown pubic hair. And because there was a change in the pattern, it would make it difficult to narrow down suspects. Chanel's mother, Lulu Mae Williams, said of her untimely death, we all know that your loved ones have to go sometime, but you'll nev- you never think they'll go this way. Mm, that's sad. Yes. Lulu. I know. Karen Beth Din's friend was born on September 3rd, 1956 in Farmingham, Mach- uh, oh, Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> oh. Listen, my grandma, love this woman, to this day, it's Massachusetts. 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 Yeah, no, I Massa- can't. She says Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Cool. I'm yeah, she say doesn't like say it right. <laughs> Anyways, she was found strangled in an orange grove in northeastern Hillsboro just seven hours after she was last seen on the sidewalk of North Nebraska Avenue on October 14th. Karen was also a sex worker. And a quote from her stepsister, none of that negates the fact that she was a beautiful, bright little girl and she was loved by her family. Everyone has the opportunity to turn their life around and my sister never got that chance. That's sad. Again, there were red fibers found at the scene of the crime. Oh, sorry. You said that she was found just seven hours after the last time somebody saw her? Yeah. So he acts quick. Mm-hmm. Picks him up, does what he does, leaves him, and he's just gone. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I hate this guy. Which, or girl. I'm assuming it's a guy, though. It's almost, like, impulsive at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... Because I feel like if it was like, oh, like I want to see if I can, you know, I don't know. Because I feel like a lot of times when they have mommy issues, like, or they have they hate women, there's always, there's usually something there where they're trying to, like, date them, in a sense, mm-hmm. and, like, make them love them. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't sound like that. This is just like, I saw this woman, I picked her up, did what I did to her, and I left her there. Well, hold that thought. Okay. Okay. Just put a pin in that for just one second. Okay. This next victim, her name was Kimberly Kyle, and she was also named as Sugar. She was born on September 24th, 1962 in Toledo, Ohio. She was found on October 31st, 1984. Unfortunately, that is all the information I could find on her. I think she's also a sex worker. Unfortunately, Unlike the other victims, I could find at least a quote or something. But unfortunately for Kimberly or Sugar, that's that's all I could find. So that brings us to Lisa McVeigh. Lisa McVeigh was born in March of 1967. She had a rough childhood from start and she was abused both physically and sexually from the age of two years old. Her mother was an alcoholic and an addict, and she spent much of her life in foster care. At the age of 14, she was forced to move in with her grandmother and take care of her and her boyfriend. And it sounds like her grandma's boyfriend 
sexually abused her as well. At the age of 17, Lisa was feeling extremely depressed and she wanted to end her life. She was working at a donut shop when on November 3rd, she decided she was going to end her pain and suffering. At 2.30 a.m., she headed home. 2.30 a.m., she's 17 years old and she's getting on her bike at 2.30 a.m. And she starts heading home with a few donuts in her basket. So this is kind of her plan. She says she's going to ride home and she just feels so free, which is so sad. All these girls are really young, right? They're like really young. Late, late teens, early 20s. Yeah, so 17, this is so far, this is the youngest. And I think the oldest was like 28. Okay. But... Yes, very young. And also, like, I'm so glad, like, now that my parents were so strict. Like, I remember being 18, living at home, wanting to go on a date with a boy, and I wasn't even able to do that. Like, yeah, uh, this kills me. Even now, I'm 33 years old. And I, like, if I have to take the dogs out past, like, 10 p.m., I'm like, uh-huh. oh, and I live in a very safe neighborhood. Yeah, if I have to go out after dark, I tell Robert, I'm like, five minutes. If I'm not back in five minutes, like, no. and I'm just checking the mail. Yeah. It should take me a minute to check the mail. But still, I'm like, if I'm not back in five minutes, like, I'm not, I'm not coming back. Like, something's wrong. Yeah. She has this plan, and her plan is to commit suicide, which is so unfortunate. And I am going to talk about that a little bit later, just so that I can provide some resources But she is riding her bike. She has her donuts in her basket. And she's riding past the church. It's very strange. The church has the parking lights on. And she sees a parked car. But the parking lot is completely empty aside for this one car. She notices that on this car, there's one tire in the back. Like the driver's tire in the rear is different. So it's like smaller and just very different from all other three tires. So she rode by and it kind of sparked her curiosity. So she turned around and started heading towards the church. And that's when she was attacked from behind. She could feel the barrel of a gun behind her left temple. Lisa screamed as she was thrown into the back of the car, blindfolded. Before he slipped the blindfold over her eyes, she could see a big hunting knife in the car. Her perpetrator ordered her to strip and perform a sexual act. Lisa was tied up by her hands and feet with bedsheets. In an effort to loosen her blindfold, and this is so smart, she started flexing and loosening her jaw. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's 17 years old and she's thinking of these things. Through the slit that she made, she started taking notes of every single thing that was around her. She noticed the driver was turning right and then left. She took notes on what the inside of the car looked like, what the clock looked like, the steering wheel, the thick red carpet in the car. She took note of that. She noticed the word Magnum on the dash, and she was like, okay, Magnum, Magnum Pia. That's how I'm going to remember that. So she was associating things so that she knew she could remember. After about 10 to 15 minutes, the vehicle stopped in a wooded area. Lisa thought for sure this this was it. He was going to assault her and kill her. But holding her arm, he directed her to a door. She counted 18 steps to the living area of the apartment. So she's like, if I have to jump down these steps, I need to know how many are going to be there. Right. Very smart. The first thing that she could smell when she got into the apartment was wet paint. 
She was guided into the bathroom where she was told to strip down and take her blindfold off but keep her eyes closed. He directed her to the shower where he bathed her, which was so weird. And is really weird and really creepy. Yeah. When she asked why he was doing this to her, his response was, quote, I'm getting back at woman. I've been through a bad breakup. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And this is when she kind of knew that she could use this as leverage. So she's like, I need to use this to my advantage. She was going to do everything he asked and form a connection with him. The perpetrator dried her hair with a hair dryer, which is so weird, threw her on the bathroom floor, and again, he sexually assaulted her. From her previous experience, and this is really sad, Lisa knew not to fight back. While she was in the bathroom, Lisa made sure she put her fingerprints everywhere she possibly could. On the sink, on the toilet, the walls, the mirror, the door handle, everywhere. He then led her into a bedroom, still blindfolded, and threw her on the bed. He dragged a gun across her stomach and said, this is a reminder that I still have this here. Now get some sleep. What a creep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So throughout the night, Lisa lost count of how many times he assaulted her. She continued to try to make a connection with him, and this was really obviously difficult and creepy because he started asking her about the girls at school. What did the girls in the locker room look like? Like, describe their bodies to me. And so even throughout the night, she could hear him snoring, but she didn't want to get up. She thought everything was a test. This is him testing me. I need to remain in this. The second that I walk out the door, I'm dead. When she woke up in the morning, she could hear him like playing with bullets, even though she was still blindfolded. The next day, early in the morning, the news was reporting a missing 17-year-old girl. And this is when Lisa broke down and started crying. And of course, he got upset. He's yelling. He's screaming. He's like, what do I do with you? What do I do with you? And she starts telling him, my dad is sick. I'm the only one that can take care of him. Um, I, I, You have to let me go. So she told him, basically, she told him, I will be your girlfriend. I will take care of you. And no one has to know how we met. So with this, Lisa's kidnapper forced her to get dressed and forced her back inside the vehicle. Again, she was, she like manipulated the blindfold so that she could see it. And she took note of everything. She took note of the streets that they drove by. Um, He stopped at an ATM at one point and she thought, okay, I, I can't take the car. I can't do this. This is a test. Like, he's going to, if I try to run, he's just going to hurt me. And eventually, after driving a bit longer, the kidnapper stops the vehicle. He hugged Lisa. He told her that he was sorry. And he basically let her out of the car and said, just wait five minutes and then and then you're free. What the hell? So she never saw him. She has no idea what he looks like, but he did take her hands and put them on his face so that she she could feel what his face looked like. Ew. Yes. So she was sitting there, standing there on the side of the road with her blindfold on. She waited what she thought was five minutes, and she immediately ran to the authorities. This poor thing. Like, she's 17 years old. Yeah. 
and the end. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <sighs> yep. <laughs> um, I do have, of course, a lot more notes here, but I know sometimes these cases can be like an hour and a half long, and I wanted to make sure that we were splitting it up in a manner where I can still leave room for the next episode. What time, like, what month did this take, did this happen to, what was her name, Lisa? Mm-hmm. Uh, November. So he's just murdered two women in October. Mm-hmm. So it's not like there's been a lot of time in between that and her. No. So I wonder why this is so different. And I, want, yeah. I wonder if maybe it's Lisa, just in general, is the reason why he was different with her. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I don't know if, if maybe because the other women fought, like, immediately and he didn't like that. Uh-huh. And she was trying to be more calculated. And, I mean, it's hard. I, honestly, like, in these situations, you never know how you're going to act. Right. Like, I could sit here and be like, I would do just what Lisa did. Mm-hmm. Honestly, probably not. I'd probably lose my shit and then they'd probably get tired of me really quick. Yeah, so, I know. And I... I, mean, I it's 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 crazy because I think the same way. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would do this and I would do this and I would do this. But until you're in that moment, you can't say that. Yeah. Well, good I think for it's, Lisa. I think it's good to learn from her and to say this is what worked. And she had she was so young and she knew exactly what she had to do and she did it. Right. And she, I it's like I'm proud of her, but at the same time, it's like I wish she never had to go through this. Mm-hmm. But I'm also hoping that you'll give me an update on her at the end of the episode. Oh yeah, and it's a badass update too. Okay, good, because I'm like I was worried that this would like solidify her decision to to end her life, but I'm glad it didn't. It's a it's a really interesting story, um, and I'm not gonna get quite into I mean I'm sure that there's some people that are listening that know what exactly what this case is but I'm not going to give anything away quite yet I want everyone to wait until the second episode and then we'll get more into uh Lisa more into the more into an arrest and unfortunately I hate to say it more victims I knew there was going to be more. There's always more. Yeah. Can't just can't just end on a high of Lisa getting away. Like, mm-hmm. But so far, I'm very intrigued. And it's going to take everything in me not to Google everything to find out who this Don't is. Don't Google it. I promise I won't. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, um, again, you guys, I just want to say, you know, I know that this is a difficult case. It's, there's been a lot of neg- negativity. But I think we are at least kind of ending on a high no, for the moment, we know that Lisa got away and we know that she's running to the authorities. So hopefully we will have more resolution in the next episode. As soon as you told me that it was kind of like Lisa's perspective on things, I was like, oh, she got away. She mm-hmm. made it. <laughs> I know. That's why it's hard. But it's like I also kind of felt like I needed to do it from her perspective because it was very dark leading up to it. So it's like I, I got to give a little glimmer of hope here. Well, and I don't like it when you're listening to a story and they're like, oh, she did this, she did this, and then she thought this. It's like, and then they don't make it. It's like, then how do you know what she thought? You weren't there. She's no longer with us. So it's like, you don't know what she thought in the moment. So I I don't like when stories do that. So I appreciate that 
this is a case where she did actually get away and can tell people her side of the story. Right. And everything that I'm saying was from an interview with her. It was, yeah. this is what I was thinking. I associated Magnum with Magnum PI. I thought if I'm going to run, I need to know it's 18 steps. I, I thought this, this, and this. So it was very, very much. You know what pisses me off about that, though, is that there's people out there that are like, there's no way you thought that in the moment. There's no way you thought that. Listen, as somebody with, like, OCD that's pretty severe, I can look at something and say, okay, that piece of twine on that curtain was sticking out. And then if it's not sticking out the next day, I would notice it. Mm -hmm. Because that's just how my brain functions. I'm not saying that Lisa has OCD, but at the same time, it's like, you don't know how her brain works. Like, she's exactly. associating things. And and after the math, it's like, yeah, she's in an interview. It's going to sound a little far-fetched, but this freaking happened to her. Yeah. Like, I'm, sometimes... I'm getting mad at people that didn't even say anything, but I'm just thinking about, like, interviews that I've heard before. People are like, there's no way that happened. You didn't think that in the moment. There's... I, I will do the same thing. And, like, I will literally... I'll be sitting in my office, and I'll have to, like, leave my office and go walk to the hospital. And I'll be like... One, two, three, four, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah. Like, why are you counting your steps? Listen. Like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I just count. Like, it's Listen. not that weird. It's been over a year and a half, almost two years since I've worked at that property that we worked at together. To this day, there are 37 steps to the third floor of that property. <laughs> I know that. My mom's house, there's 14 steps to the second floor of her house. It's ridiculous. I know, but I still know it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Our brains are weird, and I feel like sometimes we just do things and we don't know that they're to protect us. In this case, yes, she did know. It was to save her life. And it's also pretty amazing that she thought that she was going to end her life, and then within a second, she went right from I want to die to survival mode. God wants me on this planet. And she even said that. She said, God talked to me and said, you don't get to decide when you're going to die. This yeah. is not it. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So I am so grateful that Lisa survived this horrific experience. And next week we will get a little bit more into the perpetrator. And um, we'll go on from there. Well, I don't like that I have to wait a week, but I'll let you... I'll let you have your two-parter episode, I guess. Thank you. (laughs) I really didn't want to make another, like, two-hour episode. That's okay. (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to go follow us on all the socials. uh, Facebook, Instagram, at SentencedPod. And then um, you can send us a Gmail at SentencedPod at gmail.com. Patreon, patreon.com forward slash SentencedPod. Um, and don't forget to give us five stars if you're liking this episode. And if you don't like it, just don't give us a review at all. Just let us keep our five star rating that we have going right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.